You guys are about to have fun listening to me read this passage. Uh, I want to invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 3, as we read verses 23 through 38. Matthew begins his gospel with Jesus and his genealogy back to Abraham, showing that Jesus is the son of prophecy, the son of Abraham, the fulfillment of God's promises. And Luke waits a bit to include his genealogy. He waits until frankly, after the baptism of Jesus to talk about Jesus' ancestry. And he takes it all the way back to Adam so that he's underscoring that when Jesus is acting in his ministry, he's doing so as the second Adam. He's not just the fulfillment of promises to Israel, though he is. He's even grander in scope than the nation. But in Luke chapter 3, verse 23, we read the following. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Methat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Math, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Jonan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Jorim, the son of Methat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Malia, the son of Mena, the son of Matatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Kainan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Brothers and sisters, this too is God's word to you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. 
Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this, your word. We ask that like all of your word, you would apply it to us. That we would see with eyes believing and hear with ears receiving. And that we would indeed hear the voice of our Savior. We ask that you would bless our time together. For Christ's sake, amen. So, we just had Thanksgiving. And how are you doing? Here we are at the cusp of the Christmas season. I'm not going to ask how many of you have got your Christmas gift shopping underway. Some of you may be eager beavers and you're done. Maybe your presents are all wrapped and they're in the closet ready to be distributed. But my guess is that most of you haven't even begun to think about buying gifts yet. I mean, we're still in November. And are we really at the end of Thanksgiving? Is it really Christmas time already? Hasn't this year gone by fast? This year seems to have gone, just sped by. So how are you doing? Are you feeling kind of drained? Are you feeling kind of tired, worn out, a little haggard, a little, little road-weary perhaps? Well, that happens. And you know what? I thought that for this year, for Christmas, as we look at the fact that we are concluding almost two years of a post-COVID world, and we're all just kind of feeling tired. And uh, we're facing 2022 with all the uncertainty it will bring, and I was reminded, I was reminded of the need for hope. And so I thought to myself, let's do a series on hope. So this month, we're going to do four weeks on hope for the holidays. We're going to discuss four ways that the first advent of Christ provides us with a ground of confidence, a, a basis for hope as we live in the now, anticipating the future. Okay? Hope. It's a word that some cynical, jaded souls may think is a synonym for naivete. As you look at the world around you and, and you know, even now, it's just like things just go in a cycle and nothing ever changes. You've, you've heard the cliche, people don't change. And I don't believe that, but that's the cliche, and, and there's, a, you know, there's, there, there, there's a strain that, that we are combating, even in our denomination, that, that says that when Jesus delivers you from sin, he doesn't deliver you from the power and pull of that sin, and so it's unrealistic and unreasonable to expect change. And so we see the struggles in our lives, we see the struggles in our homes, we see the cyclic struggles in our society, how 
it's like, okay, every, every four years there's a presidential election, and then, and then in, the off, in the off cycle, the other party wins. But we act like it's some big referendum and change going on in America. And, 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 and some of you are probably just worn out. And in the midst of it, it's hard to live by hope. Indeed, for Christians, ours is a life of faith, of hope. Indeed, so important is hope to the Christian faith, to your Christian walk, that in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul lists it as one of the three chief Christian virtues. You know the verse, but these three remain, faith, hope, and love. These three and he, I love how he repeats it. These three remain. He lists them. Then he says, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And, and perhaps what you thought is that he says the greatest of these is love because it's better to love than anything else. That love is better than faith. Or hope. No, that's not what he means at all. It's the one thing that lasts forever. You see, faith, which is the first of the virtues mentioned will one day dissolve as what you are having faith in becomes sight. Once faith becomes knowledge, it's no longer a thing. Hope, which we will define in a moment, once you have the thing hoped for, you don't need hope anymore. You've got it. But love... You'll never stop running out of reasons to love. So love lasts forever. That's why it's the greatest. It's not that it's superior or something. But faith, hope, and love are the three great Christian virtues. And, and the New Testament says a lot about hope. It's mentioned in the New Testament 83 times. That's a lot. 83 times the Greek word elpis is used, and according to all of the lexicons, elpis is the anticipation or looking forward to something with some basis for the expectation of fulfillment. And it's that latter part that I, that I think separates or distinguishes Christian hope from what we oftentimes in the world say when we say hope. Oftentimes in the world, we confuse hope with, with the sheer optimism of an upbeat spirit. The optimism or the, or the positive thinking that comes from just being a chipper type of person and an indomitable personality, and so you're always just kind of seeing the bright side. That, that's not biblical hope. We're not talking about the power of positive thinking, though in the world there are practical values to positive thinking. That's not what we're talking about. And we're certainly not talking about having confidence in confidence. No, biblical hope, the thing that's mentioned 83 times in the New Testament, has a rational and objective basis. And what is that? Christ. One of the things that's fascinating about hope is that 
Every statement the New Testament makes concerning Christian hope is a statement about what God has given the believer in Christ. Every statement. So when you're reading Paul, and he loves using that phrase, in Christ, you are in Christ, read that with a new perspective. Because it shows just how radically Christocentric our faith and daily walk is. That every facet of blessing we receive comes to us as a benefit of being in Christ. So much so that Hebrews 6.19 refers to hope as a sure and steady anchor for the soul. God is infinite, and he exists simultaneously. This might blow your mind as past, present, and future. It's in his name. It's awesome. It's awesome to contemplate the eternality of God, okay? Likewise, our faith touches Your daily experience of faith draws from past, present, and future. Did you know that? Okay, think about the testimony of Scripture. Think about what Christ came to do. It serves as the historical basis, right? So in your now, you are drawing from what you have learned about God and his word and his reliability from the past, But at the same time, in the exact same time, your faith is future-oriented. You're looking forward to heaven. You are looking forward to seeing Jesus. And in fact, in Titus 2, that that is the blessed hope of Christians, is to, to be with Jesus. The confidence, the hope, the assurance that things will Turn out the way God has said, that is to say, things will get better. But it's based precisely upon a confidence of God's reliability in the past. And so simultaneously to your thinking about the past and the future, in the present, it inspires hope, obedience, love, faith, Joy, so your faith is a testimony to the eternality of God because every single moment it touches the past, the present, and the future. And hope is that. Hope is fundamentally grounded in the past, oriented toward the future because no one hopes for what he already has. I I think that's written down somewhere. Hope It's hope precisely because you don't yet have it, but you have a grounded reason for why you think you will. And all of that is Christ. So, Christ has given us all this stuff, and so we have a reason to be hopeful. But you want to know one thing that Christ has given us about which we can be hopeful, that I, that I hope will lift your life out of the mundane or the sensation of mundane. 
It's the knowledge that your life, your story matters. And I don't just mean that in the psychologically affirming sense. Truly, you matter. You are a part of the puzzle. You are a stone in the house. Your life matters. Now, we all, as, as good Presbyterians, as good Calvinists, we, we will affirm that God is in sovereign control of history, that God is sovereignly directing our steps. He orders the affairs of, of, of history, and he do, fulfills his purposes. Absolutely, we all affirm that. But here's what we simultaneously think. We think that the majority of us are just kind of superfluous extras on the stage, and that God works his great purposes through, through big-name somebodies who he periodically brings forth. You know, the, the Billy Grahams, the Martin Luthers, the, 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 the D. James, the Kennedys, the, the, the big-name people who just pop up. These are the guys that God uses. But the rest of us, well, he loves us, but that doesn't really mean that we matter a whole lot. That's how we oftentimes feel, even if we want to pretend we don't. But brothers and sisters, I want you to have hope in the future, based upon the past, that your story matters, your story is going somewhere. Look back over your life. Maybe you see where you are now as the result of a bunch of missteps or bad decisions. Maybe you think that you've attained all you're going to attain and you're just kind of on the glide path waiting to die. I, I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're on the cusp of, of having decisions to make and, and you're anxious and you're wondering, does it really even matter? And it does. How do we know? Because of passages like the one we just read. You see, I just read to you a list of 76 names. And my guess is that you know maybe a dozen of them. Maybe. Maybe more if you've actually studied the passage. But, but, but realistically, about a dozen of these names... As you look at Jesus' genealogy, you back up and, and you see a bunch of people that are absolute, from the vantage point of the world, absolute nobodies. Not scoundrels, not villains, not heroes, just completely forgettable nobodies, according to the world. You, you back up a little ways and you get to the first uh, well, in this list, it will be the second, but, but the eldest, Mattathias, and, and there you have a guy who was a priest in the days of the Maccabees. Those would have been exciting years to be alive in. We, we read about him in, in First Maccabees. It's not a book of the Bible. And Ma the great thing about Maccabees is it says it's not Scripture, but yet people still want to just kind of thumb their nose at that and treat it like it's Scripture. But it's not Scripture, but he was a, he was a priest in the time of the Maccabees, and 
But for the most part, no one's heard of these people. And then you get to David. Oh, we've heard of that guy. And we've heard of, we've heard of Obed. Why, why have we heard of Obed? Well, because of Ruth and Boaz. Oh, what a wonderful story that is. But, but who are these other guys? On and on I could go. 76 names of people who are basically unknown to the world. Now, what this passage is showing, what its use for us is showing, is that even people who the world would dismiss as completely irrelevant have a part in the story God is telling. And you may be thinking, well, that's just them. Those are the descendants of Jesus, ancestors of Jesus. I'm not in Jesus' genealogy. Are you? Or maybe I should say, aren't you? You know what the Bible refers to us in relation to Jesus as? He's our elder brother. So if he's your elder brother, might this not be your adopted lineage? And just in case you think that we're talking about the relevancy of people in the plan to bring forth Jesus, it's imperative that you remember that Jesus told Peter that he would build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Jesus makes a promise and he makes a statement concerning the effect that has eschatological consequences. So in other words, it's a church, an institution, a body, an organization that will survive and thrive to and past the end. So it's clearly in the present. And what does Peter then, several decades later, what does he say about us? In 1 Peter 2.5, we are living stones being built into a spiritual house. So in other words, the thing that Jesus promised to do is still happening, and you are still here in the present as living stones becoming built into this spiritual house. In other words, the grand design that God is fleshing out, the grand structure that he is erecting, includes you. You are absolutely essential to God's story in history. So your life, you may feel like you're just stuck in a rut, like you're just spinning your wheels, like you've hit a dead end. I don't know where you're at in your emotional state, but the objective fact is that your story has bearing on the promise of Jesus to build his church, you matter. Your story matters. So, circumstances all around us threaten to beat us down. Struggles, recurring problems threaten to beat us down. Let your life be characterized by hope. Because the coming of Jesus through a lineage of a whole bunch of absolutely forgettable nobodies 
underscores the fact that everybody who is part of the kingdom of God is not just a superfluous extra on the stage, but is rather a key character in the development of what God is doing. Your life, your story matters. And God has promised you great and wondrous things. Again, 83 times we are called to hope. You are in Christ. And every victory that is Christ's shall indeed be yours. So brothers and sisters, we're kicking off the Advent season. You're about to be inundated with requests for money. You're about to be inundated with invitations to parties, with expectations to buy gifts, and all these expectations. And in the middle of it, life is going to keep on happening, and you're just going to be tempted to think, ho-hum. Don't. This Christmas, focus on the fact that Jesus came that we might live in the face of the now with hope. Let's pray. Brothers and sisters, I'm sorry. Almighty God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the genealogies that are included in Scripture, the genealogy of Christ going back to Adam, tying him into the promise given that the seed of the woman would destroy the seed of the serpent, but along the way incorporating a whole bunch of ordinary people. <clears throat> Father, help us to, to not walk out of here with, with, with overinflated egos, but rather with elevated self-awareness that we matter to you and we matter in your story. Our stories matter. <clears throat> help us to resist the deadening impulses of this world and its spiritual powers that seek to throw a blanket, a smothering blanket over spiritual vitality. Grant that this Christmas season we would be characterized by a joy that comes from being hopeful. In Christ's name we pray it. Amen.